Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. I grew up in a house with two older siblings, wonderful people. But when you're the youngest sibling, and maybe this is not a problem today, screens are everywhere, but when you were a younger sibling back when you pretty much had one television in the house, you either complained a lot, which I sometimes did, or you made the best of it and maybe just watched whatever was on the television. With my older sisters, this is often the tact I took, and I'm glad because I was exposed to a lot of movies and TV shows that probably were not things I would have sought out by myself according to my childhood interests. The one thing that was great about my sisters is they kind of could make it fun. I guess they realized that it was unusual for me to be so accepting to just plop on the couch next to them and watch soap operas often or movies that they really loved. They would often encourage me with trivia, they would ask me questions about the characters, or in the case of specific movies, like the movie I'm going to talk about today, Xanadu, they would encourage me to act out parts of the movie. This was fun, sometimes with dialogue, we would go back and forth with one another, but in Xanadu, the thing that I would like to emulate was the roller skating, and we'll get into Xanadu in just a few minutes, but Xanadu has a lot of roller disco. Now, we didn't have a suitable place for roller discoing in our living room, but I would try to simulate what that would be like. Mind you, I couldn't even roller skate, so I would kind of just go in circles around our coffee table during the opening of Xanadu, the actual disco fantasy skate rink crazy place, and I would pretend kind of mime roller skating and clapping. I would clap along, and there's these great sort of stomping, clapping, and everybody shouting Xanadu, and I would do that for the entire scene, which could go on for a bit. Now, my sister loved this movie and watched it a lot, so I spent a lot of time going around our coffee table pretending to skate and singing Xanadu. This was all well and good until my sister brought what would be her, and I'm doing air quotes here, boyfriend into the mix and somehow convinced him to watch Xanadu. I came in, saw Xanadu. Now I'm a bit younger and I don't realize what a third wheel is at this point. So I just sit down and start watching Xanadu with them. My sister, to her credit, does not kick me out. But then something very unusual happened. The scene that I normally dance to came on and I started doing it. This was not a safe place, as it turns out, because this friend of hers was none too pleased with my behavior. He found it to be odd and maybe slightly off-putting, I'm not sure, and he used some colorful language to describe what I was doing, and my sister would have none of that. And she came down like the hammer of Thor upon him and kicked him out of the house. After that, I became very aware of what I was doing and that around my family, I could be a little sillier. It's a habit that sort of lingered with me over the years. Whenever Xanadu comes on, I am quite happy to watch it. If there's a coffee table nearby, I might even take a lap. And I do that not because I love the movie and I think the movie's fine. I do it mostly because of the memories of my sister. The fun we had watching this movie, the fact that she was willing to stick up for me when I was just being myself. So on today's show, I'd like to talk to you about the film Xanadu. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera. 
We'll talk about its inspiration, we'll talk about the music, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Xanadu is a 1980 musical fantasy comedy romance. It was written by Richard Christian Danis and Mark Reed Rubel, and it was directed by Robert Greenwald. The title of the film is a reference to Xanadu, which was the summer capital of the Chinese emperor Kublai Khan. It is most famously referenced in the Samuel Taylor Coleridge poem of the same name, and that poem actually gets referenced within the film. The plot of the film was inspired by the 1947 film Down to Earth. Just talk a little bit about Down to Earth, which I had never seen until very recently. And it's pretty good. It's a musical comedy. It has Rita Hayworth, Mark Platt, Larry Parks. It was directed by Alexander Hall. And it was actually a sequel to another film, Here Comes Mr. Jordan, which was also directed by Hall. In it, Hayworth stars as a muse, which is a very similar plot to Xanadu, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And she's annoyed that a Broadway producer is putting on a show that doesn't portray the muses very positively. And she goes to Earth in order to fix the play. What's interesting is that this was a sequel to another pretty well-received movie called Here Comes Mr. Jordan, another fantasy comedy about a guy who was mistakenly taken to heaven before his time. It stars Robert Montgomery, Claude Rains, and Evelyn Keyes. This was remade in 1978 as the Warren Beatty film Heaven Can Wait, which for some reason freaked me out when it was on HBO. And I haven't watched it since, so maybe I'll have to revisit it. I know it's supposed to be a comedy, but I have really weird memories of it. So let's get back to Xanadu. Xanadu was directed by Robert Greenwald. This was his directorial debut. Greenwald has continued to work making films like A Woman of Independent Means, The Burning Bed, and Steal This Movie. And in the new millennium, he has gotten into making a lot of full-length documentaries. As of 2013, he has made eight of them. Over the years, he's garnered 25 Emmy nominations, two Golden Globes, and a Peabody Award. The film was produced by two people, Lawrence Gordon and Jules Silver. Lawrence Gordon, born in 1936, producer probably best known for his work on films you might have heard of, like Predator and Die Hard. Joel Silver, who was born in 1952, is probably best known for those same movies. He also worked on the Lethal Weapon films and the Matrix trilogy. He's the owner of Silver Pictures and co-founder of Dark Castle Entertainment. The original budget for this film, which was supposed to just be another roller disco film until people started getting aboard and it started to snowball, was $4 million, but that quickly rose to $13 million. And Universal head Ned Tainan freaked out and he got rid of Joel Silver. Silver immediately went to his friend, Lawrence Gordon, who was also a producer on the film. And Gordon put Silver right back on the project. 
Now, according to Olivia Newton-John, this film was written as it was going along. And there's this story. I want to say it's a great story. It's kind of scary. Joel Silver needed this screenplay, and the screenwriters just weren't completing the work. So he basically kidnapped the screenwriter and held him for three days against his will, trying to get him to write. We'll return after these messages. Something really moves that thing. I got a roller racer, roller racer's got me. I don't get it, but I got it. Roller racer got to me. Roller racer sit skate. Your parents put it together easily. From Whammo. Crust or thick. At Pizza Hut, the dough's made fresh every day. Making it by hand really makes it good. And now, back to the show. Before I get into the plot of the film, I want to talk about a very important component of this film, which is dance. There's quite a lot of dancing in it, as well as singing. The choreography was done primarily by two people, although I'll add a third. The One of the stars of the film helped out. You had Kenny Ortega and Jerry Trent. Kenny Ortega was born in 1950. While he worked on films like Pretty in Pink and Dirty Dancing, more recently, people might know him from his work on the High School Musical trilogy. Jerry Trent works as a choreographer and gets a lot of uncredited performances as a dancer. I'd say that his two biggest credits would be Xanadu and 1977's Peach Dragon, where he was an assistant choreographer. The third choreographer in this film was one of the stars of the film, the legendary Gene Kelly, who choreographed the scenes with him and Olivia Newton-John dancing, and would only do that on the condition that he work on a closed stage with just himself, a cameraman, and a few very trusted people. Now a little bit about the plot of Xanadu. Now it's pretty straightforward, although a little odd. The film has Sonny Malone, who's an artist who wants to be very famous, but his job is painting album covers on record store windows. Now Sonny had tried to quit the day job to make a living as a freelance artist, but he failed and has to return to his job at Airflow Records. This is a really interesting part of the film. Now there's this mural, and the basically muses come out of this mural. One of them played by Olivia Newton-John. And it's kind of confusing why these muses come out of this mural and instantly start interacting with Sonny. And that's because there are things that were supposed to be in the original film that were taken out. One of them is that Sonny made that mural. So by just having that, it would have explained a lot. But Sonny meets this woman, Kira, who's played by Olivia Newton-John. He also meets Daniel Danny McGuire, who was a big band orchestra leader, now a construction mogul, who, much like Sonny, needs a muse. Now, back in the 40s, he had a muse, his music. And Sonny, who is currently floundering, is looking for a muse. And just so happens, there is a muse, who is the muse of dance in Greek mythology. And these muses visit Earth to inspire people 
according to the Greek mythology. Now the big problem is Kira has fallen in love with Sunny. She's not supposed to do that. She's just supposed to inspire. Since she's violated the rules, she has to kind of plead her case to Zeus, and we're not sure what he's going to allow, but he does allow her to return to Earth to inspire the opening of the ultimate music club slash roller disco Xanadu. The film ends rather oddly, sort of in the way that some of the earlier films, and maybe the thing about Heaven Can Wait that confused me as a kid, maybe even disturbed me, was that all the muses go back. They go back to the mythological realm from which they sprang. Sonny's really depressed, and then he meets a waitress who looks just like Kira, played by Olivia Newton-John, and he approaches her, and they start talking as they walk away. And I'm not sure, is this really her? Is this her double? Was she put on Earth with no memories, and now they got to fall in love again? Will they not remember any of the stuff that went on? It just hurts my brain to think about. This film had a very fun cast. Olivia Newton-John plays Kira. John is an English-Australian singer, born in 1948. Grammy Award winner, environmental and animal rights activist. Olivia Newton-John met her first husband on the set of Xanadu, Matt Latanzi. Now, this film was meant to launch Olivia Newton-John as a solo star, but this really was the end of her solo career on screen. I can't say that she made a bad move. This seems right up her alley, although this film was widely panned. She was actually offered another film at exactly the same time, the very village people-driven Can't Stop the Music, and both of those films would be up for Worst Picture from the Golden Raspberry Award. I've seen both of these films, and they're both great, but I think Olivia Newton-John picked the right film, if just for the soundtrack. Michael Beck played Sonny Malone. I like to think that he would be best known as Sonny in Xanadu, but most people probably remember him as Swan in the 1979 film The Warriors. Two other people were up for this role. John Travolta turned down the role of Sonny Malone, and Andy Gibb was also up for this role. The legendary Gene Kelly played Danny McGuire. Eugene Curran Kelly was born in 1912, passed away in 1996. He was a dancer, singer, actor, director, producer, choreographer, athletic, likable. He was a superstar starting in the 40s, going all the way up through the 60s. But then his career sort of went a little downhill. But he is still very well remembered as one of the biggest stars that Hollywood has ever turned out. The character he played, Danny McGuire, also would appear in the film Cover Girl, which was a 1944 movie of Gene Kelly. So arguably this could be a sequel to Cover Girl. Matt Latanzi played young Danny, and I wanted to mention Matt Latanzi because him playing young Danny, it's where he met Olivia Newton-John, and they would get married. James Sloyan played Simpson. He's a great character actor, mostly known for TV. You would recognize him. In films, he's probably best known for his role in The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight and Xanadu, but TV's been on X-Files, Quantum Leap, MacGyver, Star Trek The Next Generation, in multiple roles in Star Trek Deep Space Nine and in Star Trek Voyager. He gets around. Rounding out the cast, you had Katie Hanley as Sandra, Fred McCarran as Richie, Ren Woods as Joe, Melvin Jones as Big Al, and Dimitri Arliss as Helen. I also want to mention that there's a lot of skating in this movie, and if you're going to choreograph skating, why don't you bring someone great to the table? Olympian Peggy Fleming helped to choreograph a lot of the skating scene. We'll return after these messages. It's starting! 
starting to look like a disco. Not yet. Hey, catch the dancing boot. The Magic Burger King. Let's live in the place with disco balloons. And here's some records of your favorite tune. I doubt my feet can disco. I've never danced before. You don't need dancing feet when you have a dancing floor. Hey, check out the dude. Doing the disco dance. Dally, 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 disco dance. Disco to Burger King. Where the smoothest dancer wins burgers. Or fries. With these slippery soles, I'll take first prize. He loves magic and more than fun. He's got fun, he's got fun, he's got fun for everyone. Can I win? There's some doubt about that, too. Burger King, yay! Yay! And now, back to the show. This movie was heavily promoted, and I don't really remember the promotions for it. I would see a lot of these things later on, and a lot of them are on YouTube. In 1980, there were multiple appearances by the cast on TV. There was also a 30-minute making-of special called Making Xanadu, which aired in syndication. In addition, there were lots of radio tie-ins featuring Olivia Newton-John and a very important musical component of this film, the Electric Light Orchestra, ELO. The film was released on August 8, 1980. It had a budget of $20 million, and it made $22.8 million. Its opening weekend, it brought in $1.4 million, ranking number three. And for the year in the United States, it was number 28, right behind Raging Bull. Now, as I mentioned, reviews for Xanadu were not kind, unfortunately. People seemed to like the dance numbers, the music, but didn't think they worked with the movie itself. It also had one of the most famous one-sentence reviews, in a word, Xanadont. I could not disagree more. The film would be nominated for many Golden Raspberry Awards during the first Golden Raspberry Awards, and it would only win for one for Worst Director for Robert Greenwald. Way to go, Greenwald. Another big star of this film is the soundtrack. It has music by Olivia Newton-John and the British group ELO, the Electric Light Orchestra. The original LP had on side one songs by Newton-John and on sides two music by ELO. This was remastered in 2008 and was included as a bonus CD as part of the film's DVD release. The film might not have been a commercial success, but the soundtrack was. And Magic and Xanadu peaked at number one in the US and the UK, respectively. It was the fifth most popular soundtrack in the United States in 1981. Now, all the songs on side one of the album were written by John Farrer. And there's some good ones. Magic is a great song. Dancing's okay. Suddenly, that's pretty good. But side two, which is written by Jeff Lynne of ELO, has I'm Alive, All Over the World, and of course Xanadu. If you love the music of this movie, there are extended soundtracks online. People post them on YouTube, which include not just the music that you can get on this soundtrack release, but music directly from the film, including the sort of long musical extravaganza when Xanadu opens all in one piece. And you will often catch me listening to that when I need to pick me up. The film has been spun off in two ways. 
one, there was a Marvel comic released in August of 1980. It was the Marvel Super Special number 17, the Xanadu comic, worth checking out. There was also a Broadway musical, which opened in July of 2007. There were some actual plot twists that made it slightly different than the movie. And because the film wasn't a big hit, they were allowed to parody the original film. And Xanadu was a hit. It was nominated for several Tony Awards, and the original cast recording was released in December of 2007, which I think the success of the Broadway musicals would help us get the fuller DVD release. The Broadway production ended in September of 2008, and this included 512 performances and 49 previews. Then it would go on a national tour, and I did not get to see it, sadly. We'll return after these messages. Where is there a place where all my dreams will come true? I grant you a roller disco! Awesome! Everybody all around the world! Is this that awful 80s movie? No, we're a hit. Read the paper. It's Xanadu, baby. It's the biggest surprise hit in Broadway history. Get your tickets today for the show the New York Times calls ridiculously funny. Xanadu. It's timeless. And now, back to the show. As I mentioned, Xanadu was re-released on DVD in June of 2008, which had the Going Back to Xanadu featurette, trailer, photo gallery, bonus music CD. Unfortunately, it did not have those admitted tracks that I say you can find online. The film was officially released on Blu-ray on March 8, 2016. It is a wonderful transfer. Now, I had never seen Xanadu in HD before, and I thought it was pretty spectacular. Not every movie has to be a thought-provoking classic. Sometimes films can just be fun. I think in our review-driven world, it's easy to dismiss a film like Xanadu. You'll go to an aggregator like Rotten Tomatoes and you'll see how low it is and you'll think, oh, maybe this is a film I can watch only if I want to make fun of it. And yeah, there's a lot to make fun of in this film. It's cheesy, but the components of the film, when deconstructed, really shine. There's a lot of great music and dance and there's not really a part of the film that drags on. What other movie can you say nowadays would have dance numbers by Gene Kelly, skating choreographed by an Olympic ice skater like Peggy Fleming, an animated sequence by Don Bluth, and all tied together with Olivia Newton-John. Oh, and it's a movie about Greek mythology. This is a rare bird. So if you have not seen Xanadu, do yourself a favor, rent it this weekend. Look for a streaming service, maybe pick up the DVD. It's often very cheap. And maybe, just maybe, you'll get fired up enough to take a couple of laps around your coffee table. And don't let anyone ever tell you that that's wrong. That is the proper way to enjoy this film. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Did you download the show from iTunes or 
Google Play or some other place you can review it. If you have the time and you can do a simple positive review of the show, it's very helpful. People tell me that all the time. They tell me I should mention it. Again, thank you for listening to this show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Being kidnapped and having to write the movie Xanadu is maybe one of the most 70s things I have ever heard. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.